listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our hope is for you to be encouraged and to connect with God during this message. If you'd like to know more about Thornapple Valley Church, visit tvcweb.com. Well, I want to start today by just saying a special welcome to everybody joining us online. I am guessing today, because of this weather, our online attendance, well, hopefully it's up um, because you guys are not here. So um, we're hoping that that's the case. I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I love in my own life when I find something new. And when I, when I say I find something new, I'm not talking about like I find a physical object that's new. I'm talking about when I think about something or I realize something that I never had thought of before. It's kind of like a perspective change in life or what I would call, and what I'm going to call today, a mind shift. When our mind moves from thinking one way to thinking a completely different way in life. Maybe it's something that you learned or something you're like, I never thought about it that way. And all of a sudden you, you learn it or you hear it and all of a sudden your mind shifts to a completely different thing. Let me give you a couple examples in my own personal life. I always thought that a bigger an organization became or a bigger an or- organization becomes that the more that the leader of that organization or the people who were leading the organization, the more that those people had to do. In other words, as the organization grows, that means that those people, like they must do everything, right? Like they're responding to all the emails and they're doing all the paperwork and they're doing this and this. And I mean, it's like they must be so stinking busy with everything that they're trying to accomplish until one day I realized that really that wasn't the case. That the larger that an organization becomes, if you talk to somebody who's been really successful in business or somebody who has run a really great organization, you realize that they actually do less, Now, I'm not talking about being lazy. I'm not talking about that they just sit at home and they don't do anything at all, but they are doing fewer things if you talk to them. But those things, they make a much broader impact on the organization. And that, for me, was a mind shift. It was a huge mind shift because I was always trying to do more and more and more when in reality, I had to look at what are the things that only I can do or what are the things only you can do as an organization grows and those things that make a greater impact, those are the things that we should be focused on. Another mind shift for me was I always thought for years that success was accomplishing, it was conquering more. Now I think this is something probably a lot of people we struggle with because we think that success for us in life is what is it that you're doing or how much have you conquered or how many people could show up or for me when I did student ministry for years, I always thought success was well how many kids are gonna come to my student ministry? How many kids, like what's the attendance look like And it was like, I wanted people so badly to like me. I wanted everybody to think that I was okay. And then one day I remember hearing this quote from a guy by the name of John Maxwell. And it says this, the quote is, success is when those who know you best love and respect you most. Success is not about how big your ministry is. Success is not about how, you know, how many people show up. Success is not about, you know, how big your family is. It's not about any of those types of things. He says, success is when those who know you best They love and they respect you most. And this changed my perspective in life. Success isn't what you do, it's it's really who you are. Every parent in here, you understand that when you have kids, you have a mind shift, right? You have to change how you begin to think about your life. And and, and even if you don't think that you have to do that, all of a sudden you have kids and you do. And so I've said this before, but you you know this, that when you don't have kids, and for years in my life it was like this, it's like if if 2 a.m. rolls around and you decide, I want a milkshake, what do you do? you go get a dang milkshake, right? I mean, that's what you do because that's what you want. You can get up and you can leave and then all of a sudden your your mind has to begin to shift as you start having kids, right? And all of a sudden you have one kid 
And I describe that as it's like it's two against one, right? It's like you and your spouse against that one kid. And again, but things still have to change. Like you're not just the two of you anymore. Or when you're single and become married, you have a mind shift as well. But all of a sudden you have a kid and you have this, this thing that you've been entrusted with. And you have to begin to change how you do things, right? And then all of a sudden you have a second kid. And then you become, it's like man-to-man defense, right? It's like you take this one, I'll take this one, and you deal with it how you need to deal with it. And then for some of you, I don't understand you, but you, st- you start, you keep going. Like you have three kids and four kids and five, and some of you six and seven, and I'm like, I don't even, and at that point, you are just in zone defense, right? And it's just like, let's just hope nothing breaks. I mean, that's just kind of, some of you, you just ignore it, right, altogether because you realize that you just can't keep up with everything around you. You have to change how you think, And then I think, of course, I'm not sure if you can relate to this or not, but I actually think there becomes a point in parenting where you just all together as a parent, you kind of stop caring. Anybody relate to that? Where just, I mean, the things that you used to care about a lot, it was, it's just like you've kind of given up on them. I know for for me, my wife and I, we adopted um, two boys, and when we first got our boys, I was so worried about what people would think about me as a parent. Like, like, I would watch some of you and how you parent, and I would think, man, you guys do it all wrong. Like, like, you guys are messing it up. I mean, I would be like, you allow your kids to do some crazy things. I will never, ever, ever be that parent. And then I had kids. <laughs> and it's like you get to this point in, in parenting where sometimes you're just like, you kind of give up. You, you stop worrying about the things that you thought you were going to worry about. And it was like, I used to worry about, you know, what are my kids going to say or who are they going to say it to? And, and it's like you kind of start easing off of that. A few weeks ago, I was coaching a, a soccer game and I was down on the sidelines and, and my, my, my boys were both there at the game with my wife and and I, I don't know how this happened, but in the middle of the game, I'm, I'm down on the sideline, and I'm coaching an intense game, and I'm into it, and all of a sudden I see kind of off to the side that my youngest son, Caleb, who's five years old, somehow he ended up like right down next to me on the bench. And I'm like, well, how do I, like, so there's the stands, and there's a track, and then there's the bench, and so somehow he walked down under, and I kind of see him, and I'm trying to ignore him, because I'm just like, I don't even want him to know that I'm paying attention to him. I'm trying to be focused on this game right here, and all of a sudden, I somehow make eye contact with him, and he's walking up to me, and he just says, as loud as can be, Dad, I'm going to give you a wedgie. And I'm like, (laughs) and I think in the past, I probably would have looked at him like, no, I'm going to give you a wedgie if you don't get back to where you belong, right? And honestly, I just said, like, as calmly as could be, I just looked at him and I said, hey, Caleb, how about later? Like, like dude, you could give me one. And li- literally, he took me up on that, by the way. Like, like, but it was like, I, it's, it's like all of a sudden you understand this, that your mind has to begin to shift. It's all about perspective in life, right? Our perspective changes, I think. I think when we decide to follow Jesus, if you decide to follow Jesus, I think our perspective has to change as well. You change how you view life. So we're, we're in a small little series, two-part series leading up to Easter called I Win. And I think really when you decide to follow Jesus, I think your perspective on what winning in life is and what it means, it has to begin to change. Now, it doesn't mean it's easy to change that perspective, but I think our, our perspective actually has to change about what winning is. And we're talking about this in this series about what does it mean to really win. And of course, all of us, we want to be on top. And sometimes we think that winning for us happens when you become the CEO of the organization, right? Winning for you might be that you think, man, if I could just become the best player on the field, then that for me would be winning. If everybody could look to me as the all-star, then that's winning. Or if I could get into a certain college, 
then that's winning. If I could get the promotion that I've always wanted, then that's winning. If I could just find somebody who would marry me, then that's winning. If I could just have kids, if I could have a family, then that would be winning in life. But real winning, according to Jesus, which we'll look at today, I think it looks completely different. And today as we close out the series, I want to talk about how, how real winning in life, real winning as a follower of Jesus, it doesn't always mean that you are on the very top. Winning doesn't mean that you're the very best. And I know what some of you think because you're so stinking competitive. You're like me and it's like in everything that you do, there's something that comes out inside of you where it's like you want to win the game. You want to win the thing that you're a part of. You want to be the very best. And I don't think it's bad to be competitive. I'm not saying that. But for some of us, this idea of not winning at everything you do is very difficult. It's like we want to win at everything, even against our kids. I don't know if you can relate to that or not, but it's like sometimes I find myself, even when I'm doing things with my own children who are five and six years old, I'm thinking to myself, how can I beat them? How can I win, right? Um, so often in, in my, my household, whenever my boys ask me if, they wanna, if I want to do something that's competitive, uh, so a lot of times they look at me and say, hey, dad, do you want to wrestle? And I'll say, and I'll look at them, I'll say, yeah, if you want to lose. And then they'll look at me and they'll go, no, dad, if you want to lose. And like we kind of go back and forth with this. And so a couple weeks ago, um, both my boys had asked me if I'd be willing to pay, play the game Candyland before, which I don't know if you've ever played it before, but I, I think it's really the dumbest game ever, okay? And, and I'm, like, I'm like, sure, I'll play Candy. And I literally, I looked at him, I'm like, no, if you want to lose, I'll play Candyland with you. And Kaysan, like st- stood right up for his brother, his younger brother. He said, Dad, no, no, Caleb is so good at Candyland. And I'm like, well, he's so good because he's never played against me before. Like, like wait until he plays against me and then it's going to be on, right? And so we literally start playing Candyland. And I'm not, I'm not trying to let them win. I'm not trying to give them. I'm literally trying to win the game. And I'm losing. And I'm losing bad. And literally, I got all the way to the end and I drew that card. I don't even know what it is. But it sent me all the way back to basically the very beginning. And I found myself literally thinking because Caleb is so excited because he's beating me and he's jumping up and down and he's being way too arrogant in life, okay? (laughs) And I found myself thinking, how can I cheat? Like, is there a way for me to cheat, for them not to know I'm cheating, and somehow still win this game? And I think so often in life, we live like this, don't we? And then it's like, maybe, again, you can relate to this, maybe you can't, but I think sometimes then we, we actually view wins and losses in life, not so much based on where we're at, but based on where we're at compared to other people. And so we watch as other people what they put on their social media. We watch as, you know, other people, it's like, well, well what vacation are, are you taking? And where are you going for spring break? And as long as your vacation isn't better than my vacation, then I feel pretty good about myself. And we watch as what other people are driving and, and we think, okay, I feel pretty good. And some of you just bought kind of a, a semi-new vehicle and you feel really good about that vehicle. And then you're sitting at the, the stoplight and all of a sudden the sports car comes up right next to you and you're like, I'm losing at life. I, I, like I'm not driving that thing. And we watch as what other people, where they're living and what house they have. And we think to ourselves, well, if I could just get to that place, then I would be good. High school students. You might look at other people in your classes and say, well, well I, I think I'm winning, I'm doing pretty good, and all of a sudden somebody else gets a better grade than you, or somebody else makes a team that you wanted to make, or they're starting, or they're scoring goals, or they're making more buckets, or whatever it might be, and we compare ourselves to the people around us. And we think that if we could just be ahead of that person, then I'd be winning in life. And today my hope would be this. That all of us, including myself, and this is one that I have to work on over and over and over again, 
that we would view and have a different perspective on winning. And it would be this, that, that winners, they live with humility. That if you really want to win according to what Jesus says, how winning looks, that we have to live a life filled with humility. Now, the old Webster would define humility as freedom from pride or arrogance in our lives. In other words, you allow others to win. In other words, you, you put other people in front of you. The Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians, he says it this way. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, he says, holy and dearly loved, he says, I want you to clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I love the imagery that he gives here, this idea of that, how you have to clothe yourself. Now, I wonder often, like, why did Paul say it this way? Why did he say you have to, you have to clothe yourself? And here's what I personally believe. Because I believe when you look at this list, this idea of having compassion, kindness, humility, which we're focusing on today, gentleness and patience, those things are not easy for any of us. These are things that you have to, I would describe it this way, that you have to put on daily in your life. That you have to remind yourself on a regular basis every single morning when you wake up that I want to dress myself with humility. It's like sometimes uh, our boys, when they wake up in the morning, we'll ask them to go downstairs and we'll say, hey, why don't you go dress yourself? And they'll go down and they'll do that. And maybe in the middle of the day as I'm going about my business or whatever, I, I see one of them and, and all of a sudden I, I see some crack kills, if you know what I'm talking about. And, and I'll say, hey, Caleb or Kaysan, did you forget underwear today? And they'll look at me and they'll get a big grin on their face. They'll go, yeah, I did. And it's like, to them, it's like no big deal. I'm like, dude, this is like a necessity in life. Like you need to put on, you know, like that's one of the things you need to put on every single day. And I think Paul is saying, hey, hey, don't forget this one. Like every single day when you get up, every single day when you get dressed, and yes, you put on your clothes, and yes, you get ready, and you put on your makeup, and you try to make yourself look really, really good. He says, I want you every single day to put on this thing called humility in your life. And sometimes it's, harder than others, but he says, don't forget to be humble. Now, I just want to clarify something. I'm not saying that you don't try to win. I'm not saying that you don't try to do your very best in life. I'm not saying that you shouldn't desire to have a promotion. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do your very best at school. I'm not saying you shouldn't do your very best in athletics. Of course, we should do those things, but how you win is important. How you get ahead in life is important. How in the end it comes, it comes down to not how many points that you have, but how do people view you in your life? Are you willing to put others first? And you know this, that the best example ever of this was Jesus himself. So what I want to do in the time that we have today is I just want to, I want to shift our minds a little bit. I want to give you a few different, you can write these down if you want, I want to give you a couple different mind shifts in life. And just like many of us, we view winning as, you know, what kind of car that we drive or where do we work or if we can date a certain person. I want us to shift our mind to how Jesus said that winning actually happens in life through this idea of having humility in your life. And so the first mind shift would just be this, is that I think that if if you begin to think like Jesus thought, you'll actually begin to live like Jesus lived. Now, how did Jesus think? Well, if you look at his life, he looked to love on people all the time. He looked to put other people in front of him. He looked to please his heavenly father, God. In fact, Paul, he talked about how, how Jesus lived in this book that he wrote to a church in Philippi. Now, the apostle Paul is a guy who, who wrote a, a majority, a lot of the New Testament. And one of the books that he wrote 
was a book called Philippians. And it was written to a, a church. And I want to look at some of the things that Paul said. And I hope it moves us to this different mind shift. And this is what he says. He says, I want you to do, do what? I want you all to say this with me. Do what? Do nothing, he says, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. He says, rather, in humility, he says, I want you to value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. He says, I want you to do nothing. Now, I know for me personally, and I think a lot of you would say this is where you're at too, I do a lot of things out of my own selfish ambition. I think naturally in all of us, you don't have to look very far. You can look to a toddler and you can begin to see that a lot of us, we fight this very thing of doing everything out of selfish ambition. And in fact, for some of you, as you're reading these verses, you're thinking about somebody else in your life who is very selfish. You begin to think about somebody else instead of ourselves. And the Apostle Paul, he says, I don't want you to do anything out of selfishness, but he says, rather in, in humility. In other words, it's in humility of our minds, and it means that I'm choosing in my mind to position myself lower. I'm choosing in my mind to position myself lower in order to please God and to please Jesus. He goes on to say this. He says, in your relationship with one another, he says, I want you to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. I love how the, the New Living Translation puts it, it. It says that I want you to have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Your attitude, it matters. Everybody say attitude. Now say it with a little attitude. Yeah, like your attitude. And you understand this. You know this. And, and, and if you're a parent, it doesn't matter who you are. You get that attitude. It's everything. It makes a huge difference in how you view life. It makes a huge difference in how you see things. It makes a huge difference in your perspective in life. It's something that can truly change your life. There's so much about having a positive attitude. In fact, I would say it this way, that for some of you, it's like, it's like how you view things, right? So maybe for some of you, you would say, you know, Joel, I wasn't very smart in school. Like, I just didn't do a very good job. I, I wasn't like the, the, the brightest crayon in the box. I didn't do very good. And so you could say one of two things. You could say, you know, I, I graduated in the lower half of my class, right? That would be one way perspective to have it. Like, like it's just where I finished. I wasn't very smart. I didn't, didn't finish on the top. Or a different perspective would be this. You could say, I graduated in the half that made the top half possible, right? It's a per perspective change. It's all about your attitude. It's how you think of it. It's like, a story once, some of you are still trying to figure that out because you're in the lower half, right? Okay, you'll get there. It's all right. It's coming. It's like the story I heard about a kid who he stood in his, his yard and, and he had a baseball bat and he had a baseball in his hand. He said, I am the greatest hitter who ever lived. And he threw up the ball in the air and he swung with all of his might and he missed and he laughed about it. He grabbed the ball. He said, oh, it doesn't matter. He said, I am the greatest hitter who ever lived. And he threw the ball up in the air. He swung with all of his might and he missed again. And he started laughing. He said, no, it doesn't matter. He says, I am the greatest hitter who ever lived. And he grabbed the ball. He threw it up for a third time. And he swung with all of his might and he missed again. And he said, oh my gosh, I am not only the greatest hitter who ever lived, I must be the greatest pitcher who ever lived because I just struck out the greatest hitter who ever lived. It's all about perspective, right? I mean, it's the little things that make a huge difference in our life. It's your attitude. It's your mental habits. It's the way that you think. It's how you train your brain to think. And you know this, but habits, they're acquired. You can create good ones, or we can create bad ones in our life. You can create good habits of thought. 
You can be thinking positive thoughts in your head throughout the day as you're going through circumstances or you can choose to have negative thoughts in your head where everything is negative and everything is bad and I'm never going to get ahead in life because an action repeated, it will always become a habit that is formed. Can I just say this? This is why we believe and we talk about this all the time that coming to church on a regular basis, it's so important. Because when you show up with a local body, when you get together, and for the record, I'm not talking about that you need to show up to Thornpool Valley Church every week. I oftentimes have people say to me, they say, Joel, when, when somebody leaves TBC, when they leave the church, does it bother you? And of course, like, I don't want any, I love this church. I don't want someone to leave the church. But you want to know what my response to them all the time is? It says, you want to know what bothers me? Is when somebody leaves Thornpool Valley Church and they don't go to another church. That breaks my heart. Because I believe in the body of Christ. I believe in going to a local church. I believe in being connected with other believers. That's why we talk about serving all the time. That when you serve, when you, when you, when you give of yourself in things like the Spring Blitz or when you go on the Detroit Mission Trip or when you go out in your community and serve people, when you serve here at the church, when you're a part of something bigger, it does something to you. That's why we talk about life groups all the time. How being a part of a group by gathering together with other people. I know some of you are going, I hate life group. I don't, I don't, you talk about them all the time. Why, why, why? Because it does something to you. When you form the habit, it is good for you. And yes, it might be difficult. And yes, it might mean you have to get up a little earlier. And yes, it might mean that you got to talk a little bit when you don't want to talk. But I'm telling you, it does something to you. It's why we, for several weeks now, we've been just harassing you as a church to invite people next weekend. That we have Easter coming up. In fact, when all of you came in, you got one of these little cards that were given to you. Would you all just pull this out real quick, if you would? Those of you who are online, um, hopefully you got one in the previous weeks. But this is an invite card. And we have services starting for Easter. And can I just challenge you to think about, if you are a part of our church family, who are you inviting? Who are you going to hand this card to? And we have so many of them available. They're available at all of our campuses. There's a spot ready to invite out in the lobby where you can grab more. And again, I don't want you to invite people to TVC so that we can say, oh my gosh, we had thousands of people show up. You want to know why I want you to invite people to TVC? It's because you and I have the greatest hope ever in Jesus. And people are more likely to show up next weekend. And if you don't want to invite them here, invite them to a different church. There's so many great churches in our community. Invite, invite, invite. Why? Because you never know the impact an invite can have on somebody. And so the Apostle Paul, what he's saying is he's saying, I want you to have the same mindset. I want you to have the same attitude of Christ Jesus. And so what does that attitude look like? It says this, he says, in your relationship with one another, he says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, this is mind-blowing. Jesus, who is God, Jesus, who was God, had all the power, but yet he didn't use the power that was given to him for his advantage. I want to ask you just a question for a moment. When you have power in your life, how do you use it? Many of you, you have power on a regular basis. If you're a parent, you have power over your kids. If you are maybe a student who's leading something, you're a captain, you have power in some way. Maybe it's because of where you're at in, in, in your workplace. Maybe it's where you're at, uh, you know, as far as uh, um, what you have, as far as the possessions that you have. All of us have power in some way, shape, or form. And the question would be this, how do we use the power that has been given to us? And many of us, I think if we're honest, we would use it to benefit ourselves, we would use the power that has been given to us thinking, well, I've earned this power, I have this power, so how can I get ahead in life? How can I make my path a little bit easier in life? And Paul is saying that what Jesus did was just the opposite of that. 
He didn't have the power that was given to him, which was a lot to benefit him. In fact, it says this, that it says, rather he made himself, what is that word? He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. He made himself nothing. So let me give you another mind shift because I think so often in life we think it's all about us. I think all of us, we struggle with this thing where we think, well, I just got to throw myself out there. I got to let people know that I'm available. I've got to be great at things. I got to promote myself. It's all about my Facebook friends. It's all about how many Twitter followers I have. And and hey, I'm going to be a self-promoter in my life. And I think another mind shift if we're going to live with humility is this, is that pleasing God isn't about self-promotion, but self-abandonment. That if you really want to live a life filled with humility, if you really want to win according to the way that Jesus says we should win, it's not about promoting yourself, but it's about abandoning ourselves. I want you to think about this. Jesus, who had every right, who was with God, who was God, he stripped himself of everything that he had to become a servant, to serve those, get this, who would even sin against him. See, he should have been the one who was being praised, but instead he chose to kneel down. He chose to wash the feet of people who were around him, the very people who would betray him in his life. Now, we think about it, when God created the world, what did he create the world out of? He created it out of nothing. And I believe that as long as you, you view yourself as, I'm, I'm just, I'm here, I'm nothing, I'm, I'm, not some, I'm not some big deal, that God can make something out of you. But see, I think the problem is is that when we begin to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, when we begin to think of ourselves as better than, I think we risk God not fulfilling his purpose in our very own lives. Jesus, it said, he made himself nothing. In other words, it's not about self-promotion. It's about self-abandonment. Now, if you read the book of Philippians, if you kind of go back to chapter 2, verse 1, I know we haven't looked at this yet, but if you do go flip back there, if you have your Bibles open, you'll see that when Paul, it's very interesting, when Paul introduces himself to the church of Philippi, when, when he's introducing himself to these people, it's the only letter where he doesn't give his credentials. In other words, if you read all the letters that Paul writes to people, he always says that I am an apostle. In other words, he's saying this is who I am. It's like you saying, well, I am a doctor, or I am a teacher, or I am a pastor, right? It's like when I introduce myself, I really don't go around saying, hi, my name is Pastor Joel. I just say, I'm Joel, right? And the the Apostle Paul, he actually, instead of introducing himself as being an apostle, he uses this this incredible word. He says that I am a a servant. In fact, that, that word servant is translated to be a slave or one who is permanently devoted to do the will of another person. And that is kind of what he was going through. That's the mind shift that he wanted people to have. It's not about, hey, look at me. It's not about my credentials. It's not about how many years I went to college. It's not about how high up I've gotten in the organization. He says, I want to be looked at as a servant of Jesus in my life. And so another mind shift that I would give you is this, is that serving is not what I do, but a servant is actually who I am. If you want to live a life filled with humility, then serving is not what you do. In other words, well, I got to go to church today because I got to serve, or I guess I got to go do, I got to sign up for Spring Blitz because, oh, I got to serve. No, no, serving is not what I do. But what if you viewed your life as being just a servant, and that is who you are as a person? See, I think when we look at our life this way, it leads us to different results. But the problem for many of us, the problem for me anyway, I know, is that I oftentimes, I don't want to serve other people. I want other people to serve me, right? 
A lot of times we go through life and we think, well, what can I get out of it? What can, what can be given to me in my life? We don't see ourselves as a servant. But yeah, I think God wants us to live a life that when you have the opportunity to serve people around you because of your status, because of who you are in the organization, because of maybe the, the level that you're at, because of maybe the finances that you have, that we reach out and we say, I'm not just serving because it's what I have to do, but I'm serving people because that is who I actually am. I'll give you an example in my own life. This was uh, two or three weeks ago. I remember I was sitting in a, a meeting, and there were several people in the meeting, and we were sharing different things that were going on. I think we were sharing God's stories and what was happening. And, and one of the, the people in the, the meeting, they began to share about another person on our staff whose child was very, very sick. And they were sharing with me this, this, this situation, and I instantly was like, sometimes I feel like God speaks to me in different ways, and a lot of times, like we've talked about in this whole series, uh, the previous series, we talked about how God, the voice of God comes, and I felt like God spoke to me in a whisper as I was hearing this, because I remember as this person was sharing about this individual whose uh, child was sick, I remember thinking to myself, well, they're here at work right now. Like, they're out, in the, they're out there, and they're working, and their child's at home, like, and I'm not talking about a cold, I'm talking about their kid was really, really sick. And I remember, like, it was like God spoke to me and said, Joel, I want you to serve this person. And because of the ability that you have in the organization, you have the ability to go out to them and you can say to them, hey, I heard your kid is sick, go home. And I felt like God spoke that to me. And then, if you're, I don't know if you could relate to this, but then everything inside of me said, you can't do that, Joel. And I began to think of all the reasons why I couldn't do that. Well, there's a lot of work that has to be accomplished. And, and, and are all the staff going to think that I'm just handing out free days like candy and I don't want to be that, you know? It's like I, all these different things started coming up in my mind as to why I couldn't serve that person. And I thank God over, I think about this over and over, I thank God for second chances because it was like God kept speaking to me saying, Joel, just serve them. Joel, just serve them. Just, just let them lead. I mean, just serve them. Just help them out. And so it was like, I literally, I got up from the meeting. I walked out and I said, hey, I heard your, your kid is really sick. I, I just want you to go home. Like, you just need to go home, be with your kid. And they're like, well, you know, I have all this work that's got to get done. And I wanted to look at them and say, yeah, you do. Yeah, you're right. You probably should stay. Why don't you just, yeah, just stay, you know. And, but of course, I'm like, no, no, just go home. Like, you got to go home and be with your kid. And listen, I don't know the broad impact of that, that that had on them. But bigger than just allowing someone to do something like that, you know what I thought to myself as I walked away? That's how I want to live my life. I want to live my life in a way where every person can look at me and they can say, it's not about Joel, it's not about his status, it's not about what he does, but it's about how can you serve people around you. That when I have the ability to serve people in humility, I'll choose to do it. And I got to tell you, there's way too many times in my life where I fail at that. And I think if you really look at your life, there's times in your life where you've had the privilege, you've had the opportunity to serve somebody around you, to make an impact on somebody's life, to live your life filled with humility. And instead, we choose to go in a different direction. See, serving isn't something that we do, but it's who we're supposed to be. I don't go to church just to serve, but I serve because I'm a follower of Jesus. When somebody has a need, it's not that I have to do something. It's not that that I'm required to do something. No, no, I want to serve them. I want to give to them. I want to help them. I want to reach out to them because it's who I am. Jesus, he said it this way in the book of Mark. He says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
And how did he do this? It says this, and being found in the appearance as a man, it says that he humbled himself. There's that word again. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, and he gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. This is what Jesus did. He didn't, he didn't consider equality with God something that he could grasp and hold on to. But he chose to make himself nothing. So hear me, when you, when you think like Jesus thinks, I think you're going to begin to live like he lives. When, when you look at your life and think about pleasing God, is not about self-promotion, but it's about abandoning ourselves. And when you realize that serving isn't what you do, but a servant is who you are, I think it begins to change your mind in humility final mind, uh, mind shift for you because I think there's so many reasons in all of our lives why we could be miserable in life. There's so many reasons in my life where I could say poor Joel and there's so many reasons in your life why you could do the same thing. And let me just tell you something. There's so many reasons why the Apostle Paul could have done the same thing. Well, life isn't fair. I wish things were different. Why didn't God answer my prayer? How do we find joy when times are tough? Well, here's the mind shift. I think that we have to choose to say that my joy is not based on what happens to me, which a lot of us do, right? But what God is doing in me and through me. See, if your joy is based upon what is happening in your life right now, there's gonna be a lot of grumpy people around. We're not gonna be happy in life because circumstances aren't always great. God never promised us great circumstances. But, but if we choose to say the joy is not about what is happening to me, but what is God doing in me, what is God doing through me? This is why in the middle of house arrest, th- this is why Paul as a prisoner can write a letter and he can say things like this where he says, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad. I'm glad and I can rejoice with every single one of you. In other words, even if this costs me everything, even if I spill my blood for Jesus, which by the way, one day the apostle Paul, he would, he says, I'm glad, and I can rejoice. Why? Because it's not about me, it's about him. And I will lose my life, and if I do, I'll find it. And that's why joy won't be based on what's happening to me, but it's based on who he is and what he is doing inside of me. It's based on what he is doing inside of you. So you want to win? Winning, according to Jesus, isn't about how far you get. It's not about how much money you make. It's not about what your title is. But what if we changed that perspective and made it about serving other people? What if we made it about lowering ourselves? Which you know this, but it's exactly what we get to celebrate next weekend. It's exactly what we get to come and be a part of as a a church next weekend. Jesus living out this very thing, what we just read about today, that he would give his life as a ransom for many. He would give his life as a ransom for you and for me. And can I say it again? That's why I would so encourage you to invite somebody And I would so encourage you to invite somebody, again, because you think about what Jesus did for you. When I think about what Jesus did for me, sometimes it's mind-blowing that somebody like me is messed up and as screwed up as I am in the life that I used to live in, in my life. And and every single day, I'm telling you, I still fail. I still fall on my face. And every single day, I know many of you can relate to that, that you feel like you're so broken and so lost. And you think about this, in the middle of that, Jesus hung on a cross and said, I did it for you. I did it for you, and I did it for you, and you, and you, and you. And he did it for the person that you're thinking about inviting as well. Because he loved them so much. 
So as we go this week, my prayer for us as we walk into Easter is that we would win. Not as the world says to win, but as Jesus demonstrated to us how we can win. And that is in this very thing called humility. I hope and I pray that we'll live that out. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much, God, that that this thing of lowering ourselves, of, of having humility in our lives, it's not easy. But thank you for the example that you set for each and every one of us. God, in the midst of you having all the power, that you humbled yourself, so much so to death, even death on a cross. So God, as we go this week, may we live our lives filled with humility. We would view others as more important than us. We remove the selfishness from our lives. We trust you to work in us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, now before you go, I just want to encourage you for just a quick moment. Many of you who would call yourselves a follower of Jesus, I want to challenge you and ask you the question, have you been baptized yet? You know, in just a couple weeks, we're going to have baptisms here at our Hastings campus. We'll have them at Middleville as well. And Delton's going to be coming soon when they they get into their building. And I just want to encourage you, if you have not been baptized, it's actually a, a commandment that Jesus gives us that after you make a decision to follow him, that you should be baptized. And so if you're interested in that, I would encourage you to go out to your next step. You can sign up out there and be baptized. So you guys go, have a great week. There'll be people down front to pray with you if you need prayer.